Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Happy New Year. Wherever you're joining us from, so excited to be able to kick off the new year with you uh, here at the Chapel Online. So whether you're driving, whether you're driving home from the holidays, you're at the gym, or you're getting to continue to enjoy some time at home, I want to thank you so much for being with us. My name is Steve Elworth. I'm the Sending Director at the Chapel, and really excited to be able to be, uh, to be with you as we kick off a new year, when I think a lot of us are probably hoping things are going to be new. Coming out of 2021, which if we're being honest, it was basically an extension of 2020. A lot of us are tired. And it's not the lack of sleep kind of tired. It's the bone tired, exhausted with everything going on in the world. We're tired of pandemics. We're tired of unrest. We're tired of politics. We're trying, we're tired of trying to continue on with everything that continues to change and all of the unknowns that are out there. And I would imagine that you come in even at the end of the holidays just feeling winded and exhausted. And when we're in that state, it can be really easy to drift into trying to survive in the chaos. And the ways we try to survive are often the same ways that the world tries to survive. We can start to coast. We can go to Netflix or vices. We can polarize against other people. We can isolate. We can hide. And if you've grown up in the church, it can be easy to come to the first message of the new year expecting to hear about what's new, to hear about a fresh start. It's a new year, a new you. But that's not where we're going today. Instead, I want to spend some time in a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians and in his letter to them to remind them from where their truth, their hope, and their power come from. Because here's the thing, going into a new year, we don't need motivation and encouragement to just try harder, to just push through, to adapt and overcome. We need to be reminded of where our truth, hope, and power truly come from. We need to know that God has not left us to our own devices. We need to hit the reset button so that our minds and our hearts don't move towards coping, don't hide, don't medicate like the rest of the world tends to do. And we need to be able to place our trust in the one that is never caught off guard, that he's in control of everything. And no matter how long the perceived chaos in our worlds lasts, he's the one who has everything under control. So this message isn't gonna be a fix-all for all the anxieties and the, and the fears that you're bringing into the new year. No message can do that. But my hope is that we can take a few moments together to wrench our minds and our hearts out of the culture around us and point them back to Jesus. So let me pray for us as we get ready to dive in. So Father, thank you for another year. And I pray that as we go through your word and this prayer from Paul together, that you would allow our hearts and our minds to be reset. Not so that we can try harder, not so that we can try to have the better goals and the better strategies, but so that our hearts and our minds can be fixed firmly on Jesus. 
So for everybody that is joining me today, God, I, I pray for them, that you would give them hope that can only be found in you, that you would relieve their anxieties and the fears that they're bringing in and that they would place all of their hope, look for all of their truth and find all of their power from you. If there's anything I've planned to say that's not of you, would you take it out of my mind? If there's anything that you wanna say that I've not thought of, would you come and speak? Because we wanna hear your words because that's how we're gonna be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, we're gonna be in a prayer from the Apostle Paul, on the guy that wrote much of the New Testament. Uh, and he wrote a letter to a church in Ephesus. And in, the, in this book, this letter, uh, we see an amazing prayer right in the middle that serves as the pivot point uh, to this letter. Now the first three chapters, it's a six chapter letter, and the first three chapters are all about what God has done through his initiative on our behalf. It's an amazingly encouraging first few chapters as we just look at God acting, God moving, God's initiative while we were dead, while we couldn't choose him, while we couldn't go after him, God comes in and moves. So if you haven't spent any time in Ephesians re recently, I encourage you to go back and, and read, especially the first three chapters. But chapter one is all about praising God for the things that he has done. There's an am amazing language. Most of it's all in one sentence as Paul just goes through, excitedly telling us what God has done and what it means for us. And then in chapter two, he shifts to talk about humanity, how we were dead, apart from Jesus. But again, on God's initiative, he made us alive through Jesus. He made a way for humanity to be reconciled to him. And through him, he made a way for humanity to be reconciled to each other. Specifically in the book of Ephesians, talking about across ethnic lines that we can be re reconciled to each other. But the implication is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ destroys all of the barriers that we set up between each other. On God's initiative, he makes a way for us to be reconciled to him and to each other over all of the walls and all of the barriers that we set up between each other. And then we get this prayer. This prayer that Paul prays for the church that acts as this hinge point in the letter. After this prayer, he goes into, okay, all these things that we just talked about, what does that then mean for how we should live? And this prayer is that pivot. Now, wherever you are, I wanna encourage you to close your eyes if you can. Now, if you're driving or if you're on the treadmill, uh, it might not be the best, uh, best idea, but if you're on your couch or uh, you're sitting with your family, even if you're in a coffee shop listening uh, to this, I wanna encourage you to close your eyes and, and even if you feel comfortable, open up your hands. Because as I read this, I want this to be Paul's prayer over us for this new season. So this is what he says. For this reason, all of the things that we just talked about, what God has done on, on his initiative, on our behalf, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, 
being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Love that prayer. And the reality is, this is what is available to you. This is what is available to us in Jesus. It's always been available. The turmoil around us doesn't change anything about that. But without this truth, we are susceptible to giving into fear, giving into anxiety, trying to figure out how to survive in this life on our own. Now, what I see in this prayer is, is Paul is praying and giving us through his prayer tools to help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, no matter what the circumstances around us look like. So what I wanna do for the rest of our time is look at these three enemies, that, that, I, that I'm thinking about them as three enemies for this next year, for 2022. And Paul gives us tools uh, that we can combat these three enemies that this prayer gives us power to fight. So the first enemy that I want to look at is the wrong source of truth. Now, I think we can all see in our culture, in our world around us, everybody's looking for truth. Everybody is looking for what is, what is real. And the, the new thing, the thing that everybody's really trying to do is what is your truth? What's the truth that lives inside you that you need to live that no one should be able to silence? But the question that I want us to consider is, is this, and what I want you to think about. What lies do you find yourself believing? What are the lies that swim around in your mind that can slowly impact your identity, slowly impact the way you view yourself, slowly impact the way you live life? Now, I know that's kind of an intense question, especially coming out of the holiday hangover. So as you consider this question, let me back into why I think this is an important question. Now, I know it's becoming less and less popular to believe in the devil today, but the reality is Satan is real. And the scriptures affirm that from beginning to end. Satan is real. He exists to turn us away from God. And the primary way, as you look through the scriptures, and I wish we had more time to fully unpack this, but the primary way that Satan tries to lure us away from God is through lies. There was one time when Jesus was talking to some religious leaders called the Pharisees, and he was explaining to them why they couldn't believe what he was saying. And this is how he says it in John chapter 8 and verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and, a fa and the father of lies. You see, lies are the way that Satan attempts to lead us astray because that's his nature. That's who he is. That's all 
he knows. This has always been a strategy, and we see this even as he interacted with the first humans, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right in the beginning of the Bible in the first couple chapters of Genesis. See, God put Adam and Eve in this amazing garden, gave them everything that they needed, and he said, you can have everything that you see. And the only thing he said was, don't eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else was fair game. They lived an amazing life in the presence of God before sin even entered the world. But then Satan comes in in the form of a snake. And we read this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now there is so much loaded into that interaction that Eve had with the serpent. But what I want us to see is, notice that Satan didn't say, wow, God's a jerk. You shouldn't have anything to do with him. Now, he didn't start off with some huge lie, this crazy big lie that would cause immediate rebellion and Adam and Eve to completely forget about God. Now, basically what he says is, Yeah, I mean, God gave you lots of cool stuff here. But it also kind of seems like he's holding out on you. Can he really be good if he's holding anything back? I mean, look at that tree. It's pretty tasty. Now, it's not some big outrageous lie. He just plants a seed. A small lie that began to eat away at the truth that Adam and Eve knew the truth that God is good. Satan simply questions that. Is he good, he says? Are you sure he's good? Have you considered all of the evidence? He's holding out on you. Can he really be good? And that's the basis of every lie that would swim around in our minds that Satan would whisper to us. Are you sure God's good? Are you sure he has your best interest in mind? Because here's the thing, whether we want to admit it or not, there have been lies planted in your mind that are trying to get you to question, is God a good? They start small, but they grow. For me, a lie that I'm tempted to believe is that it's up to me to control things when things get hard. Now, some of you know my wife Amber has had some health struggles over the last several years. And the lie that I struggle to believe on a daily basis that I try to fight is that it's up to me to carry her and to carry all of our responsibilities rather than leaning on God to carry us through it. And ultimately what it shows is that when things get hard, I believe that God's not good. When things get hard, I believe that he doesn't have our best interests in mind that he's holding out on us and it's up to me to fix it. It's an easy lie to believe, but it starts small, right? Are you sure God's good? Because you have these struggles that, are you sure he wants you to have? What about you? What lies have you been tempted to believe this last year? What lies swim around in your mind that chip away, that build a case against your trust in God being good. 
Maybe the lie is that you can find some relief from what's going on with just an extra episode, just an extra drink. Maybe it's that no one really thinks you're beautiful. You need to spend your time fixing that. Maybe the lie you believe is that, that issue, whatever the issue is for you, it's too small for God to worry about. You gotta fix it on your own. Maybe it's you really need to fight with people that disagree with you. Maybe it's no one will know if you cut back a little bit on your work. Maybe it's that you'd be happier if you had more money. Each of these lies and millions more like them subtly try to build a case that God's not good, that he's not in control, that he doesn't have your best interest in mind. So what does Paul do? He prays. He prays for the Ephesians that will be struggling with this and he prays for us. He doesn't say try harder. He doesn't say pull yourself up and figure out how to not believe that anymore. This is what he prays. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. No matter what lie you're tempted to believe, the truth that Paul is begging God to cause us to believe is that there are no bounds to God's love for you. He's for you. He's good. And you're loved. The goal is not just to try to think positive thoughts and figure this out on our own. The, the goal is for us to identify the lies, submit them, under the incomparable, inconceivable, and infinite love of God. The wrong source of truth is going to be one of the enemies that continues to come after us in this next year. And no matter what your circumstances are, the truth is that God is for you, that he loves you, and he sent Jesus to die on the cross to prove it. So my prayer for you and for us is the same as Paul's. That we would have power to believe that God is love, that he is always good. The next enemy that I wanna look at is, is this, it's the wrong object of hope. So another question for you, where do you find yourself trusting in? Where are you placing your trusts? What do you find yourself thinking, if this happened in 2022, then it would be a good year? If things would just go back to normal, 2022 would be awesome. If this person gets elected, things would start to turn around. If, if COVID just disappears, things would be great. If I wasn't passed over for that promotion, my life would be better and have meaning. If my health would turn around, then God would be good. If my child came back to their senses, then things would be okay. See, the temptation of 2022 is to grasp for hope anywhere we can find it. 
And we see that strategy all around us in the world. We see it in the news stations that can't help but blame those people, whoever those people are to your particular media station. We see it on social media all the time where people can't even have a conversation anymore without yelling at each other because disagreeing over anything now is a terrible sin in this culture. We can't even have conversations with each other. We see it in the amount of debt that the average American is racking up, trying to spend their way to hope and happiness. People are looking for a place to put their hope all around us. And in the church, we get pretty good at actually hiding where we really have our hope. You see, we intellectually know that our hope should be in God, but we tend to measure God's effectiveness based on what we are actually putting our hope in. Deep down, we might not say this in our words, but deep down we would say, if God does this or that, then I'll be satisfied. But what we see in Paul's prayer is a hope that can be measured is a pretty lame amount of hope. And so he prays and he says this. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. He's praying to the God that can't be measured. I love that. We try to measure God's effectiveness based on the outcomes that we hope he will provide for us. But the reality is our Eyes are set too low. Our scope is too small. God can do way more than we could ever imagine. But not only can he, but he is. His scope is so much bigger than we could ever think about. The temptation, however, is that amidst the chaos and anxiety, to focus in on our circumstances and to forget that God is doing so much more than we can imagine. And it's not just in us and around our circumstances. It's so much bigger and more glorious than that. Paul's prayer is that we wouldn't put our hope in the things that we can see or the things that we can imagine or the things that we think might make our life better. Our hope is to be in the immeasurable one who, who loves us beyond measure. He's working in all generations and among all, all people and knitting everything together for our good and his glory, even if we can't see it. And that hope is eternally secure. That immeasurable God established the security of our hope through Jesus. Listen to how Peter lays this out in the beginning of his letter to the exiles that have been scattered throughout Asia Minor when the emperors were trying to kill Christians. If there was ever a time for people not to have secure hope, listen to how Peter describes our hope. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded 
by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And if we skip ahead on a few more verses, we come to my favorite verse in all the Bible, 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, because of everything God has done to establish our hope, to make it secure, to guard it in heaven so that we don't have to do anything to make sure it's there, it's eternally secure. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Because of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection, he is a secure and safe place to put our hope for both this life and all eternity. And he proved it through defeating death. He didn't make it an intellectual exercise to try to make sure we got enough brain power going towards trying to have our hope in the right place. He proved it by defeating death for us. And Paul's prayer is that we would believe that enough to place our hope in him and him alone. Now, the first two enemies, the wrong source of truth, the wrong object of our hope. And the last enemy for 2022 that I think Paul prays for us to have the strength to fight is the wrong supply of power. Now, as I've been thinking about power and where the supply of power, I thought of a story that I don't think I've ever shared that would go on the internet, and I'm a little embarrassed to, uh, to, to share this, but, but I, think it, I think it works for us. Back when I was in high school, uh, I was on a date, we were going to the movie theaters, and I had to stop for gas. And I put diesel in my car. Now, I know some of you are wondering, wait, are, you, are they actually letting this guy <laughs> here representing the chapel preaching uh, a message? Um, but I would imagine there's more of you out there, so put it in the comments, make me feel better about myself. Maybe you did that one time without knowing it. I, I, don't, I was never told that. I don't... I don't um, Man, it's a little embarrassing to, to put it out there. And I'll never forget that moment, right, when uh, we call AAA and the guy comes out, he looks at the car and he gets this smirk on his face. He starts laughing. He's like, did, did you put diesel in your car? And I was like, I didn't, didn't know. I wasn't supposed to do that. <laughs> but here's the kicker. This makes it even more embarrassing. I don't know if you've ever tried to put diesel in your car before, but the little nozzle that the diesel fuel comes out of is bigger than the normal one. It doesn't actually fit into your gas tank. So I'm sitting there and I'm, 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 at, the, I'm at the tank and it's the only one there. So I'm assuming, man, this has got to work. So instead of putting in the car and holding it in there, I actually aimed <laughs> the diesel into the hole. Like it should have been a cue for me. Like this doesn't seem to be working. This isn't designed to go together. Now I hope I'm not alone. Put, put them in your comments. You can put your embarrassing stories or your diesel in your car uh, stories. But as I think about the wrong supply of power, this, this keeps coming to mind because diesel is a source of power for some things when it works well, but not for your normal car that you're driving around. And the world around us is constantly trying to convince us where our power needs to come from, even if it doesn't seem to fit. You might think power comes from just doing you. Be true to yourself. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You know your truth inside. Power comes from putting down other people and showing them where they're wrong and where you're right. 
Maybe power comes from self-care. You got to make sure you do everything you can to be your best, to be your healthiest, to find the right essential oil. Power comes from being your own boss. Don't want to have to take orders. Or power comes from the best new toy or the next vacation or the right amount of sleep. And that's what we hear from around us. That's what we see people going after. So we go after these things. But none of them seem to fit in the tank. We keep trying and it doesn't seem to work and we know something's wrong. So we step back and we kind of aim the nozzle so that it fits into the hole. But then we wonder why we're exhausted and stressed out and anxious. And nothing seems to be working. Well, Paul, in this prayer again, he talks twice. He prays twice, talking about where power should come from. So listen again to what he says. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, I love this prayer because it tells us where power comes from. It, it doesn't come from trying harder or doing the right things or praying the right things or sleeping the right amount of hours. Power comes from his glorious riches. It's graciously given out of God's grace. It doesn't come from within us. It doesn't come from conjuring up anything from within. It comes from completely from him. Power comes from his glorious riches or his glorious riches, and power comes for us to know his love for us. It comes from him and it comes for us to know his love. It doesn't come from anywhere else outside of us or within us. It comes from him and it doesn't come for us to have a good life or try harder, have a better reputation. It comes so that we would know his love because that would change everything. I love this prayer as a plea to God for 2022. You don't need to try harder to have a better year. You don't need better goals and better resolutions. You don't need to make a turning point and forget about the bad and focus on the good. You don't need better strategies and positive thinking. My prayer for us is all of us who are listening to this together that what 2022 would be for us is that we would fight the lies that lead us astray with the truth that God loves you no matter what you see around you, no matter what chaos or what circumstances your eyes are fixated on. We fight the lies that lead us astray with the truth that God loves you. And we place our hope fully in him, not on our circumstances, not on the things we can see, not on the things that we can change and manipulate, not on the things that we think will make our life better. We place our hope on him and what he's already done. And then we plug into his power, his power to enable us to know his love. Not numbing out, not coping, not escaping, not medicating, not going after things that we think will make our life better. But his power that Paul prayed would cause us to know his love. But maybe what you need for 2022 
is for you to open yourself up to this love of God for the first time. Paul's whole prayer in chapter three that we're reading all centers on verse 17 that says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The whole prayer and everything that would come out of it, the truth, the hope, the power, it's predicated on Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. Now maybe you've tried everything else. You've followed the lies that have been swimming around in your mind your whole life, looking for purpose and truth. Wherever you can find it, you keep coming up empty. Maybe you've placed your hope in a candidate or a party or a position or a paycheck or a person, but you keep getting let down. Maybe you've tried all the power plays that this culture throws at you, trying to maximize your own life, to live your own truth, to be the best, the healthiest, have the most friends, but instead you keep coming to the end of yourself. You see, the truth, the hope, the power that comes in Jesus doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from laying ourselves aside. It comes from saying no to yourself and your attempts to find happiness. And it comes from saying yes to Jesus' offer and everything that he has done on his initiative on our behalf. There's a pastor in Portland, John Mark Comer, that, that says this. He says, to say yes to Jesus is to say no to living by my own definition of good and evil. No to spending my time and money however I want. No to the hyper-individualism, anti-authoritarianism, and full-tilt hedonistic pursuit of our day. It's a thousand tiny deaths that all lead up to one massive life. It's not a futile grasping for control, but the freedom of yielding to love. It's saying to Jesus, whatever, wherever, whenever, I'm yours. Maybe that needs to be your prayer for 2022, to surrender to Jesus, to say yes to his offer for truth and hope and power. It all comes from him, but he doesn't force it on us. We have to abandon our attempts to do it ourselves. He died on the cross to pay for all our weaknesses and all our sins, and he defeated the grave by rising from the dead in order for us to have life in order that we would have power, in order that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. So my prayer for all of us is that we would know and receive the truth, the hope, and the power that's in Jesus. But your first step, if you have not given yourself over to him, said yes to him, and no to all of your other pursuits to find those things, then let today, in this first message of 2022, be the day you say yes and you surrender to Jesus. Let me pray for us. So God, we're grateful. We're grateful for Jesus and that because of his death, because of his resurrection, because of the truth, the hope, and the life that are within him, we don't have to conjure any of those things. We don't have to conjure a good life. We don't have to come up with where we're going to thrive or survive, where to put our hope, where to find power. It's all in you and we're grateful. And I pray for myself, for everyone who is with me today from wherever they are, that we would know and receive Jesus. Maybe for the thousandth time, maybe for the first time, 
So I pray that you would come and meet us wherever we are today and whatever faces us in 2022. Would you give us grace to know your truth, your hope, and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.